Hello and welcome to That Can't Be Right. I'm Eric Ballinger and with me today is Joe Miller. And today we're going to talk about publication as a graduate student uh, and all the fun that that entails. Okay, so one of the things that prompted this for me, anyway, is in the professional development class in our graduate program, in, in the PhD program, uh, we had a forum where some of the uh, tenured faculty came in and talked about whatever. And one of the questions that one of my colleagues asked was, how much do you get paid when you submit a, an article to a academic journal that it gets accepted? And everyone laughed because the answer is, you get paid nothing. In fact, for publication, it's actually the, usually the other way around. So instead of you get paid to do it, it's you have to pay to do it. Uh, and some of that stuff is just kind of crazy. So I know that, Joe, you're going to... Oh, I'm going to be going to a conference for uh, Toronto uh, this April, so in just a month. And uh, to go there, um, this was a pretty big deal because it helped boost my CV before I go into a doctoral program and whatnot. I had to submit a pretty much a poster to this conference but they don't mention the small details that you have to pay for along the way in a sense i don't know that's what i'm doing this next year it's kind of fun i'm excited to actually be going but at the same time there's a lot of costs that i actually wasn't thinking about when we were doing this like i kind of just thought it was going to happen and i didn't really think about the underlying costs and things that were going to happen while going there Right, yeah. So publication is really important. Okay, let's back up for a second here. Publication is important not only to advance your career, but that actually is the function of a university. The idea of a learning institution, the reason why they often end up with uh, land grants and all this other stuff, is that we are supposed to, as the university system, we're supposed to expand the amount of, of human knowledge. That's the actual goal. They become teaching institutions, but they started out as as research, and, and they justify that by teaching people the stuff that they learn. So research is important, and that's great. And obviously one of the important hallmarks of research is publication. And then we run into other problems, because in order to publish some of this stuff, it becomes very expensive. So to present it and to get it out there is often awful. But it's also often like such a it's such a critical piece of doing anything, either advancement in your career or just advancement in the department, or even sometimes people get like publications in some universities. If you don't publish enough, graduate students can often get in trouble for not publishing, right? And then they can actually get mastered out or uh, forced to not be able to finish their doctoral degree, right? And like I said, I think uh, last week in our program for the doctoral. Uh, students, if you don't have a publication or a presentation before you do your comprehensive exams, you, you can't do your comprehensive exams, which is kind of a problem. So you're thinking AERA, what, what exactly are you doing there? So for me, for AERA, what I'm doing is I'm going to be submitting a poster focusing on the research methods of a specific type of statistical method. And I submitted to a student gala, which allowed me to submit it in later as a project that is in progress. So it's called a student gala in progress research. Since yours is a methodological paper, you didn't collect data from actual people. 
No, 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 no. That's specifically the reason why I went into statistics, because then I didn't have to collect data from people all the time. I want to be able to do things more remotely if I needed to. Which is great, because that also... Um, saves a lot of time. Like, the the amount of time I save without having to work through IRB, without working through uh, trying to find people, sample size issues, power issues, it's great. And the people thing is a huge problem. Because you have to convince people to spend half an hour of their day, or longer, answering a bunch of weird questions. And if your study is reasonably good... Sometimes the questions won't be incredibly obvious what you're trying to do. So that, so they just seem really bizarre. And if you don't have some way to convince them to partake of your, of your, of your uh, survey or, or your study, it becomes really difficult. You're relying on other instructors to, do, uh, to offer extra credit or to just simply require that they participate in X number of studies. And that may or may not happen. Or... Even worse, if you have a good sized subject pool where people are required to participate, but if your program is fairly large, so like with our particular program, we have, including all levels of, of the graduate students, we have about eight or nine graduate students right now in our program. If we assume that every instructor in our department is doing what they're supposed to and requiring research, all eight or nine of us are trying to grab participants from the same 200 people. It gets a little bit tight. It's pretty <laughs> much the best way to describe it. Like, it's a tight squeeze to try to get participants. And this is just one small problem with publications in general. Publications as a whole, often just we forget like how much. It really is such a crucial part for both students, for professors. But the truth of the matter is there's so many underlying things that people who might not know from the outside or who isn't who aren't graduate students for at least a year or two don't realize about publications the difficulty of participants is only one of them right and then there's the actual publication itself i mean because there's two really broad different really broad types of uh, publication so you're doing your presentation yeah. in but that's not a publication it is a publication but it's it's not like it's going to show up in a journal. So it's one... How, how big is the ARA posters? Do you know off the top uh, of your head? I would say something like 48 by 60 inches. No, nah, that doesn't make sense. Uh, that's pretty big. I actually have no idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have absolutely no idea, but it will never be seen anywhere else outside of a small thing on my CV that right. says that I did it and the, the 2019 pamphlet, for right. lack of a better thing. Outside of that, no one will ever see what actual research is done there. Right. So I know for, so I have a poster going up, actually I have posters going up at APA and APS. So the American Psychological Association and the Association for Psychological Science. Don't get me started on those two weirdos. But, so those posters are typically um, around three and a half to four feet by about four to five feet. So 48 by 60 is not, not crazy. But you have this, basically a giant slide. So, and that's actually how we usually build these infernal things. Uh, and no one sees them. So you have this poster, you stick it up somewhere, and you stand next to it for half an hour, and you're in a hall full of hundreds of them. I think, like, I can come up with a story, but, like, for your experience, like, it's a great experience of what usually happens. What I was told from my first ever poster presentation is don't worry too much. Maybe out of the three hours that you're there, two or three people will talk to you. Right. 
And I know you had a similar experience with APS last year. APS, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, APS in San Francisco, I had my poster up. I stood next to it. Actually, it was that one was weird because I had three posters with my name on it up at the same time. So that was odd. But yeah, I was standing next to the poster that I actually cared about. And people would walk by and smile and nod. And that was the extent of the interaction. I think in my half hour there, two people asked me what I did. Uh, and, and then they just walked away. Now, this is different from a, a, what would traditionally be thought of as a publication where you write, send in a paper that is what used to be printed in a bound journal and would go out and sit on some professor's shelf and uh, probably gather be, dust. And yeah. gather dust. Right or be touched again. So it's, yeah. in some respects, the outcome is very similar that you do a thing that no one looks at. Yep. The difference, of course, is... So going back to that, that original story, is like how much money do you get for a publication of a journal article? And honestly, the answer is nothing. But the bright side is that typically, and this is sadly not a universal thing, uh, typically, you don't have to pay to have your article published in a journal. If they accept it, that's it. They print it. There are some journals that do have printing fees. So this thing that you are absolutely required to do for your job also makes you pay to do it. And it's the strangest thing, the idea that you, these uh, academic journals are sold to colleges and to and your researchers and they also get paid to put the content in the thing that they're selling. I mean, it's such a wonderful system from their perspective. I mean, it, I'm not sure how they're not making money hand over fist. Oh, no, no, they are. Like, <laughs> like they right. really are. And without going into the details of which journals I'm thinking off the top of my head, we'll call them like, um, oh, we won't mention them because we eventually have to get published in there for our own purposes. But the truth is they make a lot of money. Not only do the universities uh, have to typically pay to have these journals there, right. um, there's a degree of students trying to figure out how to get into those articles, or sometimes there is a lot of money. They're both getting paid by the author to publish it and by the person who's receiving it, albeit either the university or the student who is unfortunately unaware that you can find things on Google Scholar for free. and But that's a different... Then you start wandering into other ethical issues, and then... Yeah, we're um, not going to have time with that yeah, one. Yeah, that's, that's too far. And, and a lot of these journals are also part of uh, um, sort of collaborations. That's the wrong word. That's fine. Like JSTOR and Elsevier and a couple others. And so a journal has to pay to be part of that, and then colleges buy the access to these databases... I know Germany actually has recently started pushing back against a lot of this uh, notion that academia is really expensive for academics. Um, and that's that's pretty exciting. But that's one of the things. So getting published in an actual printed journal is typically cheaper than doing a poster presentation at a conference. On the flip side... You gotta get accepted to the journal, right? Getting accepted <laughs> in the journal is usually slightly more rigorous because they have far less space. Yeah, like I was talking about it at uh, APS. So I was one of, I well apparently actually it was three, of maybe two hundred posters that were up for that half hour window. They have poster sessions every half an hour from eight to five for four days. 
So they have lots and lots of space to crank through a lot of presentations. And this is also in excess of the actual presentations that you more commonly think of, where someone stands in front of you with a bunch of slides instead of one slide and, and talks about stuff. However, like I say, uh, getting into to do a poster presentation at some of these large conferences is really expensive. It's really easy because you have to have a reasonably good idea with some data that you can explain. And, but because they have to fill so much space, their standards are a little lower. And I'm, and I'm not saying that as like, oh, this is horrible. My exact same poster, I wrote the paper up for it and submitted it to another journal that it actually made sense to go to, and it was rejected. So it was fine for a single slide shown for half an hour, but not fine for an actual real paper published in a journal that would be uh, printed and sent out to people. And that's fine. But again, like with APS, so just to go there, so they've accepted my poster. In order to present that, I have to be a member of APS, which costs, as a, was a, as a grad student, costs $86 a year. And to go to the conference, it's a $205 registration for a student member. Now, so that $300 allows me in the door. Pretty much, but at the same time, like you have to like factor in that's three hundred dollars just to get into the door. You're not even thinking about like how much money to get out to San Francisco from the Midwest, right? And then hotels, right? How long you're staying there? So travel, lodging, food is, for lack of a better way of explaining, is all out of the pocket of the student. Now there are grants that can be written for for certain reasons for a student to be able to go there reduce costs but like you don't know how much you're actually going to get from these grants so for aera i know that my aera membership is around i think a hundred dollars and i think to register it's another hundred dollars to go to the poster presentation in toronto now we are going to be driving there whether that be a good decision or not to toronto from um, like our school but at the same time, that's like a huge amount of money to go to like there to AERA, to stay there for five days and come Ooh, back. Five I think, days in Toronto. I think we're getting like around twelve hundred dollars on average for the three students who are going. And though I think other students have submitted their posters and submitted stuff to AERA, the three students who are going are either me, who are, was doing it for a CV boost, for lack mm -hmm. of a better way of explaining it, um, another student because it's her last year as a student. And she has three publications there before she goes on to become an actual tenure track professor. And another student who's going who's required to go because he has to go to a conference for um, our... Oh, yeah. yeah. So that like so... Because he's taking comps this fall, so he so has to have a presentation. He has to go. So, like, he is literally, like... So everybody who's going, in a sense, is going because, because they have to go. And even some of our faculty, like, sometimes say, like, they don't want to go to conferences anymore because of how expensive it gets and how time-consuming it is. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So, again, looking at APS, because that's the one that's... Uh, so, APS 2019 is coming much closer. So, that's one I've looked at <laughs> because I have to figure out how to pay for it. Um, if I was faculty, the registration is $600. So, if I was a faculty member, I'd still look at this and think, this is nuts. I'm not... Do I really need to go do this thing? How important is it? for my career and for uh, the you know the dissemination of this information is it really vital or is it just a thing i did i think one of the things that i always found funny was when i was listening to another podcast they typically talk more about stats 
but they were professors who were going to this big conference in New York. And I thought about it, and there it was a big statistical conference, and it was really funny to me that these professors from, like, Ivy League universities were all staying, three of them were staying the same Airbnb to save money. Right. And it's really weird because you think of, like, Ivy, like Ivy League professors, I think one was Hopkins, um, needing to go to a conference, and how much they have to still try to be so frugal to go to these conferences. Right. And... To then compare that to a grad, a typical graduate student, even if you reduce the fees to student fees, is still an insane amount of money. In all honesty, looking at uh, the fees for these journals and um, fees for conferences, it's honestly no wonder that we've had this uh, sudden explosion of predatory journals and predatory conferences. I think you would, need to explain, like, pr- right. predatory conferences. Uh, right. I wouldn't think of APA necessarily as being predatory, because they've been around forever, and they're, and actually, a- they're actually fairly cheap, in all honesty. They're, it's only $80 to register for, for APA. And AERA has also been around as the second largest in the world, or what was it, internationally, or...? I think it's in North America. Yeah, right? North America. So, okay. And, like with APS, they do have a fair amount of nice things so some of these conferences they actually give you a bunch of really nice bunch of cool stuff uh and that's expensive so you kind of get a little bit back predatory journals and predatory conferences are conferences where everyone pays to get in so with uh like with apa aps and i'm sure and i know that ara does this they have keynote speakers so if you really want to see someone important in your field they're probably going to show up at that conference as a keynote speaker. And those people are typically paid. Uh, if nothing else, they're, they're compensated for uh, showing up. Um, with a predatory conference, they really don't have a keynote speaker, or the keynote speaker is one of the employees of the conference. It is They are just there to make money, and that's the end of it. Uh, so everyone pays to get in, everyone pays to participate, they usually have really shoddy uh, facilities, and they have no real mm-hmm. uh, credence to them. So, it, to a certain extent, some of these journals, it or in some of these conferences, it's almost a a black mark on your CVs. Like, oh, you presented at the international conference of whatever. Well, we know that they just accepted whoever sent them something. Doesn't even matter if it made sense for them to accept it. If it was the wrong field. Oh. I was actually going to go with a different intake okay. completely. Like, I don't see it as a black mark on your CV sometimes. Now, hold on, I haven't been... I, I'm saying that as somebody who's not been to one of these conferences or who's Good. been lucky enough to not have to submit to one of these journals. But it's such a... Like, it's such a precedence for... Requirement and precedence for professors to be going to conferences throughout the year to get tenure, to get promotions, um, to stay connected, that they're kind of forced to go to some of these predatory conferences... Or if they're having just a bad year in publication, mm-hmm. or they're from a smaller university, they are suffering because they still need to make that same requirement of going to X amount of conferences or publications right. to get in tenure. And they're almost like being forced to do this to try to make up for well, their CV and trying to, I don't know, to get promotion for lack of a better way of explaining well, it. I'm not sure that there are many places that would accept that. That notion. Because it, it doesn't do the school any benefit either. It's like, oh, so we need you to publish something. We don't care what journal it's in. It's like, okay. uh, your boss is still going to want you to do quality work. Or it's like, oh, 
if you can't get published in something that uh, requires you to pay them to publish it. Um, I know I've received emails as a graduate student for certain journals. I don't remember the names of them because I got the email, skimmed through it, deleted it immediately because there was no way. It wasn't even a, you have to pay to have something published. They wanted money up front to review it. And you don't think like even like smaller universities would possibly like be susceptible to these predatory and... Oh, certainly they're susceptible to yeah. it. But I don't think they're going to... It's like, oh, well, you really should publish in this journal. Yeah, we know that it costs you 50 bucks to, to submit for review. I'm not saying like they're like going out and like just like... like t- forcing themselves to do it. But I, I would say there's, there is a handful, probably more than that, of professors who feel the need that they have to submit to somewhere and smaller universities and they're just willing to submit it to anything. Certainly. Yeah. I can definitely imagine that if you're working like at a community college or somewhere where they aren't necessarily research focused, but are starting to wander that direction mm-hmm. where you really just want to have a lot of the publications coming yeah. out. And, but that in, in fact is why these things are predatory. <laughs> they know that there are grad students or instructors who are over this barrel mm-hmm. and don't know any better. I mean, mm-hmm. It's just like any sort of scam where if you can prey on someone's fears, like, I need to have this thing happen. How can I do that? I know my own family uh, fell prey to that with uh, financial aid for college. You can get information about financial aid for college for free essentially anywhere. Uh, the government puts out a huge amount of information. Mm-hmm. But there are companies that will promise to find you X amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. And you pay them uh, 200 bucks, and they will send you effectively the exact same book that the federal government will. And then when you can't, when you don't achieve that, well, you know, $8,000 that they promised... Uh, there's the return argument is well did you send applications to absolutely everyone in that book so yeah will someone in a not necessarily research oriented facility uh, or university get taken advantage of a- absolutely that's uh-huh. why that's why predatory journals exist uh, it's because they work but it's easy to to see looking at legitimate journals and legitimate conferences as well how so you know, so going to APS costs three hundred bucks. Like as much as like like we're saying, like predatory journals and stuff, and predatory like conferences. Like at the same time, where do we draw that line? Where do we categorize right. the difference between this hugely successful conference that's been around forever, right? That we have to continue to cite and publish. So please don't black mark us just yet. Um, but at the same time, like it is a degree of expense that we have to consider. And where do you draw the line between what is predatory and not? Which conferences are predatory, which ones aren't? And which journals are predatory or not? Because there's some journals out there that look like they're higher. And I think this was something we might need to talk about another time. But, like, you feel like you have to be trying to publish in them, in a sense. Like, for impact factor. Or even the opposite. You feel like you just go to these journals just so you can get something on your CV. Where to draw that line? I have no idea. And that's that's the the terrifying prospect. I know that you know I've been given these uh, sort of general rules. Uh, any journal with the name international in its title, you'd think would be awesome. Generally awful. Uh-huh. Really? Okay. Yeah. I had... um, like, but it sounds so good. It's like it's the International Journal of Business. I have no idea if that's a real journal. Um, and it might be a great one. I don't know. 
But, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it'd be a really good place to get published because, like, oh, so they're, they're getting submissions from all over the world. Yeah, okay. But they might be based out of Pakistan. And by international, what they mean is they've bought papers from India that one time. Um, and then they just started spamming grad students. Again, I don't know. And there's also the entire fact that like going international has a different type of rigor than the American standards for research, right? Um, which is a conversation again. One of the, like <laughs> there is that is a conversation for an entirely several series kind of podcast thing. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know. It's it's hard even as graduate students you're trying to like parse through this information of what is and isn't good, and you're fed so much different information that you really don't know what you need to do. And you're kind of just forced into certain things. So if it's a really big journal, a really big conference, it's fairly easy to figure out if it's viable or not. If for nothing, like with APA. APA is a great one simply because, yeah, it might be expensive. But APA is also typically one of the, you know, one of the accrediting bodies for colleges for uh, psychology programs. If that's who's accrediting your school, then clearly getting published through them is the way to go if that's an option granted that doesn't seriously narrow the field but if there's a conference or a journal and you can find its host organization and its host organization is one that is definitely trustworthy because again because it's an accrediting body or just based on time again the apa is i think 120 years old so if they're scamming people, they've been doing it for a really long time, and they've probably accidentally become, <laughs> become legitimate. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just out an accident. Um, but that's one of the one of the problems with publication is, especially as a grad, graduate student, is you don't know who to trust, but you still have to do it, and you have to figure out how on earth you're going to pay for that. Because again, my trip to the to APS, which is in DC. Just getting in the door is $300. That hasn't actually got me to the door yet. <laughs> and that's a week's pay for me. So that's just... So, so that... You know, that can't be right. So... And, uh, do you have anything you'd I mean, like to it, add it, about? I mean, you really... It can't... It seems like... It seems... You kind of said it at the point. Like, it can't be right. That can't be right. Because the idea is like... How are you supposed to be able to afford this? How are you supposed to be able to do this? Like, as I was mentioning for one of our students... He, he has to do it. Right. To move forward. Yeah. He has to go to a conference to move forward in his, like, not even in his career, just to graduate. Not even to graduate, to be allowed to do it, to propose his dissertation. No, no, he has to do it even for just his comps. Like, it's not right. even propose his dissertation. It's right. just, it's to the next step, almost. Mm -hmm. The next actual step where they can then reject you and force you to master out. So, it's, it's just kind of... It's kind of awful funny. It's it's at that point where you're kind of just, wow. Yeah, so there's this awful exp expensive thing that's complicated. I mean, all of this is completely ignoring the fact that to get published, you have to have an idea, find the information, write something intelligent about it, and then send it off. That's, that's usually the fun part, and that can even be a headache sometimes. And I feel right. like we're often, like, we have this very negative notion about, like, conferences. There is a benefit to it. It is a dissemination of information that you can find new ideas to re-spark this cycle. But I think there is needing to be at least some sort of discussion, especially for graduate students, with regards to actually just in academics in general, with how much are we paying out right. for something that we're forced to do. 
Exactly. I think that's where we're really needing to have a conversation is how much do we pay for something that we're forced to do? And in a sense, you're right. That can't be right. And on that note, I think that's the end for this week. Uh, hope you enjoyed our little conversation about uh, academia and publication. And we will see you next time when we'll talk about something else. Thanks.